0: One of the things we do here at gravity is uh try to feed the needy and care for the needy and and that's where our hearts are oftentimes with uh with the holidays coming up, everybody always thinks well i need to I need to do something nice for somebody and and uh, and that's great i mean that's that's what we should be doing and what we should be thinking about um If your hearts are in the right place to help us serve the needy in this community, what we're really looking for right now is um, help to to load boxes and distribute them, boxes of food. Um, Actually, boxes are probably the biggest thing that we need. We use banana boxes. So um, if anybody has a connection with banana boxes, let me know, please. (laughs) And I pulled some statistics off of the computer today I don't want this to be kind of shocking to you, but when I read it, it was shocking to me. Uh, in California, 10.2% of Californians are food insecure. Food insecurity is defined as a limited ability to secure f- adequate food. 16.2% of Californians or children are children or food insecure. Over 5 million Californians are hungry today. In Sacramento, Sacramento County, there's there's an organization called Food Link in Sacramento that um, we're going to try and align with, but um, they've seen a 30% increase in the number of people seeking food assistance. Uh, This this company provides food for an average of 89,000 per month in Sacramento County alone. Food Link's network of... Pantries and food closets reported serving per month an average of 18,947 households made up of 53,000 individuals from June of 08 through May of 09. The agency reported serving per month 26,618 households made up of 73,000 individuals, 71,000 Sacramento County residents, live in food insecure households today so there are a lot of ways that you can help um, contact me if, if, if you're if you're wanting to help food boxes are a big thing um, we always need help stocking shelves and, and making up boxes um, if you're looking for something to do any day of the week you can come out and help me typically you can find me anywhere in the community there are a lot of people in here that know that I'm kind of floating all around wherever you know wherever God says to go, I go. So anyway, Jay, where are you at? Thanks,
1: brother. When when Vince says that uh give him a call and, and uh he'll let you know where he's at and he's floating all over. He literally is floating all over. He's he's uh in the parks, he's in the hospitals, he's pretty much wherever um, people are that that need something, and uh, this last week was a really um, I had a really cool conversation with a, a good friend of mine, and we together were just kind of talking about our lives and we were talking about um, this idea of what makes us feel valuable and we were We were talking about how most of us think that our value or our worth or our self esteem comes. From our jobs or our careers, most of us, when we go to work, we it makes us feel good about ourselves, and it's a true statement. Um, many of you don't know this, but um, Vince is is unemployed. Um, he's been unemployed for almost a year, and in this conversation, uh, me and my friend, we were talking about about Vince, and we were saying, you know, if you were to ask Vince about where he gets his sense of self-worth or self-esteem or value, he's not going to say from his job because he doesn't have one. As a matter of fact, I've heard Vince say words, maybe not exactly uh, word for word, but something to the effect of this season of his life, the last several months of his life, have been more rewarding for him than anything he's ever done in his life. Is that true statement, Vince? God's doing something in his life. And so we... We sit here and we go, oh wow man, that's really great that somebody's doing that. But when you look at the core of what it is that God is doing, it has really nothing to do with our job or our career. It has to do with our life producing something, right? It has to do with what does my life produce? What am I doing with my life that leaves a trail behind me, a good trail behind me, so that where I go, people know where I've been. Last week, we started talking about this big word right up here in the middle of our, our canvas. The word is called freedom. And and the last um, five, six weeks now, we've been talking about the cross of Christ. We're leading up to the Christmas season. We're leading up to one of the most pivotal moments in history of mankind, when God, literally God, the one that, poof, breathed everything that we see into existence, came down into our world in the form of a baby. It's amazing to think about it, that our God, the one that is bigger than life itself, somehow shrunk down into the size of an itty-bitty little infant baby. I can't understand that. It's way, way, way beyond my ability to comprehend And yet, that's what God did. And that's what we're we're leading up to here in the next couple weeks. For those of you guys that didn't know, yeah, Christmas is in about two or three weeks. You better start doing some shopping. I went to the mall today. I didn't buy anything, but I went to the mall. So it's a good start. You just got to get yourself in the right spot. Freedom is at the core. Freedom is at the absolute epicenter of why Jesus came in the form of a little baby boy and lived on this earth for 33 years and then died and came back to life and sent his spirit to us. Freedom is at the core of all of that. Last week, we read a scripture in Romans 8 verse 1. And that scripture says, So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through the through Christ Jesus from what? the power of sin. Think about this. He has freed you from the power of sin. Last week we talked about what it feels like to be locked up, incarcerated, in jail, in prison. We talked about how in this room of people, there's lots of us in here who have been through that, who have experienced that. And we talked about the fact that the worst part about being in jail is not the food or the clothing or whatever. The worst part about being in jail is your freedom is taken away from you. You no longer have the ability to choose for yourself. You're powerless. They tell you when to sleep. They tell you when to eat. They tell you when to shower. They tell you when to wake up and do all the things that you do. Your, your freedom is taken away from you. And we talked about how you and I in our lives were powerless because of sin. We talked about how sin is over here and the Bible says that it literally became our master and every time it told us to do something we had no choice in the matter we had to do what it said. Every time temptation pulled on me I had no choice in the matter. I had to just follow. I was powerless to to change. I was powerless to stop, powerless to resist. The Bible even uses an analogy that that you and I have a hard time understanding. It uses an analogy of slavery. And it said, you literally were a slave to sin. In other words, it owned you. It owned you. Your addiction, it owned you. Your lust, your shame, it owned you. And so whenever it pulled, you had to come. No matter what. And we read last week and we learned... That because of Christ, because of what he did, he broke the power of sin over our life. And he pulled us over here and he stood us up and he said, you are no longer a slave of sin. You have the choice now whether or not you're going to obey sin when it calls you. And we learned that Jesus did not tell us you're never gonna sin again or that you're never gonna make bad choices again. What we learned is that Jesus gave us the power to choose. He didn't tell us that we were gonna completely never deal with it again. He said, you're standing here, sin's over there. Do you want that in your life now? Because now you've got the power to choose. You once were powerless, now you've been given power. We learned that we are powerless to change, but we do have the power to choose. And so tonight, I want to read a story to you in the book of Luke that illustrates this dynamic that you and I experience in our life in a really vivid way. In Luke chapter uh, 17 and verse 11, we're going to read a story that some of you may have heard before. Maybe it'll be the first time for others. But before I tell you this story, I want to tell you um, just a little bit about the characters in this story that we're gonna read. Jesus is gonna encounter some people who in this day and age, in their culture, were complete outcasts. They were completely shunned from civilization because they were sick. And the sickness that they had, the disease that they had, was one that was called leprosy. And it was an infectious disease of the skin That was so contagious that they couldn't even live with their family and friends that didn't have this disease. They had to create their own place outside of the city that was their own little habitation area. They were quarantined to the utmost. And if somebody got near them, they had to warn them. They had to literally tell him before they got close to him, stay away from me. I'm messed up. I'm diseased. I'm sick. I am unclean. Stay away from me. Can you imagine the stigma? Can you imagine the shame that would be attached with something like that? That everywhere you went, you had to announce to the people, I'm broken. Stay away from me. Let's read this story. In verse 11, it says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, their leprosy disappeared. One of them, one of the ten, when he saw that he had been healed, came back to Jesus. And he was shouting, praise God, I am healed. He fell face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Does only this foreigner return to give glory to God? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. You see, this is a very, very familiar story to me. Because even though I have never suffered from a contagious skin disease that shunned, made me shun my family and friends, even though I've never suffered something so heinous that it made me literally isolate myself from my family in the natural, physical realm. I have a sickness that separates me from God. And one of the things about this disease is that these people couldn't go to the temple of God. It was off limits to them because they had this sickness. They couldn't get close to God because of what they were dealing with. When I think about this story, and I think about the interaction that Jesus had with these 10 men, and I think about the stigma attached to to their condition, and I think about the fact that when they cried out to Jesus, and Jesus heard them and saw them and healed them, and then there was only one out of the 10 that came back to say thank you. There was only one out of the 10, there was only 10% really of of the group that came back to Jesus and said, I've been healed, thank God. That, for me, is a very telling condition for myself and for a lot of us. Because when I think about the freedom that I've been given, when I think about the condition that my life Truly was in before Jesus came and rescued me and gave me freedom. And then I look around at all of the other people that I know that have said that Jesus rescued them. I think to myself, how are we supposed to show our gratitude to God? What is an appropriate way? What is an appropriate response? to say thank you to God for what he's done. How do you show your gratitude to God for what he's done? See, I fear that sometimes we think that the gratitude that we show to God comes in the form of doing religious things. Sometimes I fear that our thank you to God in our minds is summarized by the amount of times that we go to church or the amount of things that we think are something that is going to make us appear spiritual. When I look at my friend Vince, and I'm not trying to put Vince on a pedestal, trust me. We'll knock him off (laughs) as fast as we put him up there. But when I look at what my friend Vince has experienced with God over the last several months of his life, I see a guy who's saying thank you to God for what he's done in his life. I see somebody who's putting their life in play and he's saying, I want my life to count for something. What about you? How do you say thank you to God? Is it with your words? Is it with your lips? Or is it with the compassion that comes out of your heart when you walk around and when you see somebody and you look into their eyes And you see them for who they are. When you go like I did to the mall today and you're encountered by a homeless guy and he says, hey, can I have some money? And you give him some money You look in his eyes and say, what's your name? And he says, my name is Rick. And you say, Rick, have a good day because you're seeing into the heart of a person and you're saying, God, come alive inside of me and reach into that man right now because God, I want to say thank you to you because I was given freedom. Just like these 10 men, they were given freedom. Do you realize that they were in captivity? They could not come and go as they pleased. They could not live where they wanted to live. They couldn't go where they wanted to go. They were not free. They were completely enslaved to a sickness and a disease that told them what to do and how to do it. And Jesus came and took that away. And out of 10, one came back. Only one came back and said, thank you. How do you show your gratitude to God? How do we show our gratitude to God? Because if I were to ask you tonight, are you grateful to God for what he's done for you? Man, no question. No question, right? Our hearts are full of what God has done for us. But I wanna say something to you and I hope that you're not offended by this. I don't really think you can say thank you to God in this place. I don't think that this is the place that he wants to hear it. I think it's where you work. I think it's where you live. I think it's the people that he puts in your life that need to know that there is a God that sets people free. Because the gratitude that we show comes from a place of understanding. I was enslaved was enslaved but I was given freedom and now freely I have received and now freely I will give. I want to stop right here right now. And I want us to take a moment with God before we go any further, because I really feel right here right now that there's some of you in this place that God is talking to. And we need to respond to it. Pray, pray with me right here, right now. Jesus right here in this place, God, We just kind of set our own ideas aside for a minute, God, and we're going to go out of order of things because we feel you right now. We sense you right now. And God, we don't want to go any further without responding to what you're talking to us about, what you're speaking to us about. God, let our lives live a thank you. Let our lives, let our mouths speak Gratitude, let our choices, let our things that we give ourselves to all say thank you to you, God, right now. Let it be. Let our lives be a thank you. Let our lives be a living thank you to you, God, for the freedom that you've given to us. Let our lives, God, be a thank you to you because Jesus I once was blind, but now I see. God, I once was lost, but now I'm found. God, make my life a living thank you. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Psalms. I want to read a scripture together with you tonight. And I want to ask you to do something that I normally don't do, but I'm going to ask you to read it with me. I've got the words up on the screen so that you can read it out loud. You guys know how sometimes on Saturday nights, the environment in here is, it's electric, it's exciting, it's climactic. And then there's other nights like tonight where it's, it's very personal and it's very intimate and it's very much of, God, I hear you talking to me in a still small voice and I want to respond to you. You have to learn to listen to God and you have to learn to respond to God appropriately. And right now, God is doing something in your heart, respond to it. Say this scripture with me and don't let it be empty words as we say it to God, but let it be a response to God that says, God, I wanna be thankful to you. Read this with me, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you and my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. I will honor you as long as I live. Lifting my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest food. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lay awake thinking of you. Meditating on you through the night. I think how much you have helped me. I sing for joy in the shadow of your protecting wings. I follow close behind you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. I meditate on you. I lie awake thinking about you, God. I follow closely after you. You hold me, God. You hold me with your right hand. I heard a guy the other night talking on on what the word meditate means when you see it in scripture. Especially in, in the Psalms, when you see this word meditate, He says, you know what it really literally means? He says, it literally means to mutter to yourself, to talk to yourself, to meditate, to walk around and to say, God, I love you. God, I I think about you. God, your word, God, it, it comes alive inside of me. God, your truths, God, your principles, God, your promises, they're real. We meditate on God. We walk around and we talk to ourselves. About the goodness of God. When was the last time that you walked around muttering to yourself about the things of God? It's kind of funny to think about it, really. But how many of you walk around and mutter to yourself about your kids when they frustrate you? Or your spouse? Or the bills aren't getting paid? Dang it. I'm gonna break. Yeah, we mutter to ourselves, don't we? You know what we're doing? We're meditating on the wrong stuff, on the wrong stuff. We're gonna take communion tonight together. We're gonna come to God and we're gonna do it a little bit differently tonight. I'm gonna ask you to take communion with a friend. Normally, if you're here on Saturday nights, you know that this is a time that we, we set it aside every week. We look forward to this. This is a moment where it's just me and Jesus. And I get to take this bread that represents the powerful body of Christ that was broken for me. And I dip it in the juice that represents the blood that was shed. And I come to my God and I say, God, there is nothing greater than what you've done for me. And I let him talk to me about the things that are going on inside of my life. And I spend a moment with him. And that's what we usually do here on Saturday nights. And we're going to do that tonight. But what I'm going to ask you to do is I am going to ask you to take communion with a friend. With somebody that you know. Or if there's nobody here that you feel that you know comfortably, I'll take communion with you. Anybody that is alone, just find somebody. And here's what I want you to do. As we worship, I'm going to have, have the guys come back up and they're going to play some more worship for us. But as we Take this bread and this juice, and as we come together, I want you to ask each other a simple question, and I want you to ask each other, how can I pray for you tonight? It's a simple question. How can I pray for you tonight? Because there's not a person in this room tonight that doesn't have something in your life that you need prayer for. It could be financial situations that you're facing, and a simple prayer for you is, God, would you please Provide my finances. Maybe you're dealing with relational issues in your life. Maybe you're dealing with a marriage that's falling apart. Maybe you're dealing with bitterness in your heart towards somebody that screwed you. Maybe you're dealing with hardness of heart towards God and you've come in here tonight and you're just like, God, you are real. I've seen you, I've felt you, I've experienced you and I don't know what to do with all of this. Then whoever you're with, then tell them, you can pray for me tonight because I wanna know God. I wanna know God. So tonight, as these guys begin to worship, and as we begin to open up our hearts to God, and as we just sing to him, all across this room, there's going to be two or three people gathered in little groups. And I want you to take these moments, and I want you to just let God use you. Because this is what I have to say. The way to say thank you to Jesus, the way to say thank you to Jesus tonight is to give yourself to him. To give yourself to him. And that means that some of you tonight are going to pray for somebody else, and you're freaked, stinking out, and you're just like, I've never done this before. I am not comfortable praying for anybody. I don't do this. Give yourself to him. Put yourself in God's way for a minute and let him use you. Let him do something through you tonight. You say, I don't know how to pray. I've never done this before. Then that's okay. Then just say, I don't know how to pray, so I'll do the best I can. Come. Come and get your elements Come and find somebody. Give yourself to God.